There's not much need for preamble this month. I had a busy June, but still managed to play quite a few games. They were mostly on the older side. In fact, the only 2022 release I played during June was a demo, and I rarely play those. I revisited two classics from my youth, which still stand up remarkably well, in the form of gloomy tactics game Myth the Fallen Lords, and the forgotten Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. I continued my increasingly familiar ramble through the Halo series with the fairly tiresome spin-off Halo 3 ODST, and that demo I mentioned was for the upcoming Agent 64 Spies Never Die. The real standout for me, though, was definitely Dragon's Dogma. Inspired by the long-awaited announcement of a sequel, I finally picked up Hideaki Itsuno's cult-favourite action RPG and have been revelling in its idiosyncratic charms. First up, though, Myth the Fallen Lords. Released in 1997, developed by Bungie, published by Bungie in North America, but by Eidos Interactive in Europe. Before they came up with Halo and spent a long spell under the wing of Microsoft, Bungie made some excellent games which are much less well known. One of them, made by the very short-lived California branch Bungie West, was the 3D sci-fi brawler Oni from 2001. Another one was Myth the Fallen Lords, which I've revisited for the first time in many years. On release, Myth was startlingly unique. It was referred to at the time as a strategy title, but really it was part of the newly emerging real-time tactic genre. Set in a bleak fantasy world, the game has no base building or resource management at all. Instead, it's about managing a small group of fragile units and battling to overcome terrifying odds. The gameplay was quite unique in 1997, and in some ways still feels fresh 25 years later. The need to fight efficiently and to preserve units creates a tension that few strategy or tactics games have ever matched. There's a thrilling unpredictability to every engagement, and each hard-won victory is hugely satisfying. The game's writing and atmosphere are brilliant too. It's often said that Glenn Cook's Black Company series of dark fantasy novels were a key influence on Bungie. The player gets the sense that their missions are the last, desperately vulnerable spark of hope to save a world that is almost definitely doomed. Mission objectives can be a bit vague, and the control system is quite dated, but Myth is still a fantastic game. I only wish developers still made things like this. Next up, the demo of Agent 64 Spies Never Die, forthcoming later this year. Developed and published by Replicant D6. Let's not beat around the bush. Agent 64 is an extremely obvious clone of GoldenEye 007 from 1997. And why not? Rare's licensed James Bond game was a milestone in making first-person shooters workable on consoles, paving the way for Halo and hundreds of others. Its single-player and multiplayer alike have a cult reputation that's persisted for 25 years, and with good reason. I'm not much of a demo player, and didn't play a huge amount of GoldenEye back in the glory days, but I couldn't pass up the chance to explore this recreation for half an hour. Replicant D6 have done an almost eerily impressive job at recreating the feel of GoldenEye 007. The strange, glassy movement and aiming is present and correct, as is the floaty behaviour of the gun-toting foes. The demo provides just one level, so it's not much to go on, but I hope the developers can find ways to provide plenty of variety in settings and objectives, as that will really help to balance the simplicity of the gameplay. That is, of course, if they don't get litigated to pieces in the meantime. 
Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. The original version released in 2012, and this version released in 2016, developed and published by Capcom. Dragon's Dogma 2 had seemed like an inevitability for some time, because the name had come up in high-profile leaks from both Capcom and NVIDIA. Still, the formal announcement in June was music to the ears of the smallish but vocal group who'd been clamouring for a sequel for a decade. It was also the little push I'd needed to actually play the 2016 PC port of the original, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, which I'd picked up in a Capcom bundle a couple of years ago. Almost immediately, it became clear why this game has built up a cult reputation. Masterminded by Hideaki Itsuno, it's a strange, ambitious, and frequently surprising Japanese take on a Western action RPG. There's nothing particularly outstanding about the game's setting, the vaguely Tolkien-esque Duchy of Grancis, or its menagerie of unruly goblins, bandits, and undead. Where Dragon's Dogma flies its freak flag high is in its mechanics. It has an unusual system of classes, or vocations, which players can switch between quite easily. Tired of being a mage? Become a mystic knight instead and trade your staff for a mace while still retaining the ability to sling spells. These vocations play radically differently, and each has their own slew of fun abilities. More famously, Dragon's Dogma employs a system of pawns. These are AI-controlled companions which are recruited via a magical rift. The ones you recruit were made by other players. When they've helped you complete a quest, you can send them back to their creators with a kind note and a thoughtful gift like a mushroom or a small fish. I'm not alone in exploring Grancis at the moment. As GameSpot recently noted, the announcement of Dragon's Dogma 2 has led to a surge of players doing the same. Hopefully this bodes well for the success of the sequel. In the meantime, I have a lot more vocations to try, while my pawns jump into a fountain and cry, Master, I'm wet through! Then there's the merchant who always says, Their master works all, you can't go wrong. He's right, you know. Halo 3 ODST, released in 2009, developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft Game Studios. Since I picked up the Master Chief Collection, I've been gradually working my way through the Halo games, including those which had never previously been available on PC. I even caught up with the curious, dumbed-down strategy installment Halo Wars back in January. Halo 3 ODST was one of the last games to be made by Bungie, before Microsoft's own 343 Studios took over the series. It's an odd prospect. Originally intended as a mere expansion for Halo 3, it became a full game in its own right. And while it's nominally a spin-off of Halo 3, it actually takes place during the events of Halo 2. Confused yet? Honestly, five games in and I'm becoming increasingly tired of the Halo series. It feels as if Bungie were being forced to milk the franchise as hard as possible, and ODST adds very little that's new. The game is short, and its plot feels like an inconsequential sideline to the already dizzyingly complicated Halo mythos. The setting in the besieged Earth city of New Mombasa does little to alleviate the humdrum boredom of fighting the same enemies as usual, with the same familiar arsenal of guns and vehicles. ODST just diligently ticks off the usual checklist. Here's the tank bit. Here's the bit with the fixed gun emplacement. Here's the repetitious corridor section. In 2009, when demand for Halo was arguably at its peak, this was good enough, but that's no longer the case today. Maybe when I get around to them, Halo Reach or Halo 4 will reignite my interest in the series, but I won't be holding my breath. 
Lastly for this month, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb from 2003, developed by The Collective, published by LucasArts. Digital Foundry is a favourite YouTube channel of mine, and one recurring series of theirs is DF Retro, in which they revisit old games on their original hardware. Recently, they played another old favourite of mine, which I hadn't played for years, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. Licensed games are normally an extremely risky proposition, and that was maybe even more true back in 2003. But the collective did a superb job on this one. The Empress Tomb captures the indie feel better than any other game, and is also better than the Tomb Raider games from that era. It's a genuine rip-roaring adventure, which takes indie to British Salon, Prague, Istanbul, Hong Kong, and the legendary Mount Peng Lai. Notably, the game has a great brawling-oriented fighting system, with a small but elegant moveset. Crucially, Indy can grab Nazis and throw them, screaming off cliffs, which never gets old. A lot of what's good about The Emperor's Tomb is rooted in the experience that the Collective had with making another licensed game, which I'm told is surprisingly good, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer game published by EA in 2002. Baldur for Dune at the end of July, the next instalment will include some discussion of the early access boomer shooter Project Warlock 2, and who knows what else. In the meantime, please do check out the writing by myself and my colleagues at Entertainium, and if you like what I do, please consider supporting via Patreon. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can find more of my writing in text and audio form at my site, andyjohnson.xyz. You can also find me on Twitter at andyjohnsonuk, and you can support me at patreon.com slash andyjohnson. Catch you next time.